Thomas, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. Maybe. Verses 8 through 12. We're going to get our first look at Abraham this morning. We've dealt with uh, that we're in the Hall of Fame of Faith, as it were. This chapter commonly is referred to as the Hall of Fame. Old Testament believers that, that um, were testified to in their lifetime and for all eternity. They obtained a witness. And they obtained a witness from their fellow men. They obtained a witness from angels. They obtained a witness from God Himself. They've obtained a witness from the Scriptures. And that's what we're studying here, the witness of Hebrews 11 as to their faith. And so by faith, Abel, in verse 4. By faith, Enoch, in verse 5. By faith, Noah, in verse 7. We've covered three of the by-faiths in, uh, in this chapter. We had our own by-faith in verse 3. By-faith we understand that the worlds or the ages are prepared by the Word of God. And so uh, if you weren't here for that class, I recommend going back and reviewing that material. For this morning, we're moving on to verses 8 and following. We have the longest of all the sections. Uh, Abel got a verse, Enoch got a verse, and a commentary. There was a side commentary to the Enoch verse. Enoch was verse 5, and the commentary to Enoch came in verse 6. You remember, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And tremendous depth of doctrine there in verse 6 about the God who is and the God who becomes the rewarder and the blessings we have in faith to stand before him in prayer. So Abel got a verse... Enoch got a verse and a verse of commentary. Noah got a verse. Abraham. What does Abraham get? Oh, look at Abraham. He gets verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. His wife gets a verse in verse 11. Uh, back to Abraham again in verse 12. And uh, after 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, after five verses of Abraham and Sarah, we're going to break for a commentary like we had with Enoch. Enoch got a verse of commentary. Abraham uh, and Sarah... And Isaac and Jacob, who are also mentioned in verse 9, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. We have a commentary uh, excursus. Excursus is the Latin phrase for rabbit trail. It's a side trip. Okay, And this excursus, of which we've already seen one in, uh, in verse 6, some people claim that we have another one in verse 3, but this is the longest of all the excursus is excursi. Um, in verse 13, uh, 14, 15, and 16, a tremendous development about faith. And uh, the, uh, as the application and illust- as illustrated by Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. And then what happens when we uh, come back off of our rabbit trail? We conclude the excursus, we get back to the doctrine, and the, the next by faith, and Abraham gets an encore. Again, in verse 17, it's by faith Abraham. So uh, we're not done with Abraham, even if we, once we get through verse 12. We've got a lot of Abraham in the, uh, in the coming classes here. All right. So before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father's faithfulness to set aside our distractions, to humble us, to open the eyes of our understanding. Shall we pray?
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings we have this morning to assemble together. We thank you for the thrill that it is. You've commanded us to study, and we love doing it. Father, as we study, we learn, we grow, we're fed, we're nourished, we're strengthened, we're encouraged. Father, it is, uh, it is such a joy to partake of the living and abiding Word of God. Through your Word, Father, we partake the inheritance blessings even now. Thank you for these uh, glorious provisions. Thank you for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, for the privilege we have in Christ to learn the Word of God in this way beyond anything any Old Testament believer ever dreamed of. And we, uh, we have it today, all day, every day. So Father, on this day, bless our time of study. Open our eyes to the example of Abraham. We want to be an imitator of Abraham and so much more. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, starting with Abraham. By faith, Abraham, this is verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Boy, that verse you could preach for a month right there. There's so much to unpack with that. But related to faith, Knowing that you're obeying, knowing that you're doing what God wants you to do, you don't have to know all the details. You may not know any of the details. The little minor points like, where am I going, Lord? All right, you're going where I tell you to go. That's where you're going. And if we're going to run with endurance the race that's set before us, we aren't going to necessarily know what twists and turns that race is going to go until we reach each turn at each time. And we say, all right, Father, left or right. And we run with endurance the race that's set before us. So Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going, to a place. He went to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. This is going to dovetail real well with our Colossians series right now, studying about inheritance. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien. So we're getting multiple by faith testimonies to Abraham. Leaving Ur of the Chaldees was by faith. He left by faith. He obeyed. And then by faith, he lived. You know, one is a point of time. The other is the rest of his life. And they're both by faith. So by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. This went for three generations before um, Abraham dies at the age of 175 living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, so we're back to Abraham again, in verse 12, therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So here, these are the five verses now that deal with Abraham and Sarah, his wife. Remember, they're heirs together of the grace of life. She has to pass her test and he has to shepherd her through that test. He doesn't, well, we'll see the chapter. I don't know how good a job he does with that. Uh, but this is, uh, this is what the testimony of the witness of Hebrews is giving us. 
because Sarah obtained a witness. And it's likely not a witness that Abraham was aware of, but she obtained a witness. And it's recorded for us in the scriptures because God was aware of it. And uh, we can be thankful for that. And that gets us through verse 12, which is further than we're going to get today. Then we'll have the side trip in verses 13 through 16, and then we'll be back to Abraham. Now notice, all those years waiting to have a son, then what did he have to do? He was told to go kill that son. And so verse 17, we're going to read that episode. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He brought the offering. He took him to the mountain. He strapped him on the altar. He took the knife in hand. And but by the grace of God, he would have killed his son. I believe the arm was in a downward motion when Yahweh said, stop. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, his monogenes, his one of a kind, his uniquely born son. Why does the verse call him only begotten when Ishmael was 16 years older? He had other sons. In fact, he's going to have seven more sons. After Sarah dies, he remarries in his old age and has more children. So the career of Abraham is so useful for us to learn from, not only for the facts of what he went through, but also for the principles and how they apply to us today. Because he's the father of all who believe in the sense that it's the Bible's prototype for walking by faith. And this is what we have through how many chapters of Genesis? <laughs> you know, when we, read, when we read Abel, that came out of Genesis 4. And he's dead and then we never see him again for the rest of Genesis. And then Enoch, Genesis chapter 5. And then he's not dead, but he goes to heaven. And we never see him again for the rest of Genesis. For Noah, at least we get three or four chapters there with the flood and the aftermath of the flood. For Noah, we get 6, 7, 8, 9, plus some genealogies in chapter 10. So there's more to say with respect to Noah, but Noah is not called the father of the faithful. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. Abraham is the example of faith. He believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. With Noah, we're told that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so there's scripture we can apply there for us today. But for Abraham, it's Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. And that becomes the core statement for our justification by grace through faith. And we understand theologically, it's the life, it's not the life of Noah. Eschatologically, it's the days of Noah. But theologically, for our salvation, it's the faith of Abraham. That is the Old Testament foundation for our New Testament theology. Okay, so how far are we going to get with Abraham today? Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He left a marvelous uh, global uh, metropolis. Ur was a, was a cosmopolitan city that probably was unrivaled in uh, the second millennium B.C., third millennium B.C. It went through a golden age with uh, Hammurabi and, and with uh, um, some of the other early leaders of Ur. Slideshow. Keep me from rambling. Follow the slides. All right. Abraham. Abraham's testimony. Now, what did it lead to? What did it lead to? Remember what the other testimonies led to. Abel's testimony led to his martyrdom. Enoch's testimony led to his rapture. Noah's testimony led to his preservation through global judgment. Abraham's testimony, what did it lead to? 
Abraham's testimony led to an alien, foreign, transient, stranger exile. An alien, foreign, transient, stranger, exilic life. What kind of life is that? It's our life. We are aliens and strangers in this lost and dying world. And so Abraham is our prototype for this. Abraham's testimony led to alien and foreign. These are the words here in verse 9. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. (laughs) We could get political if we really wanted to. This is a hot topic in our day and age with uh, people that want to live here, but do they belong here? Where do they belong? Are they presently alien? See, if it's foreign or alien, that means you're from somewhere else. And why aren't you there anymore? And what are you doing here? And maybe it's not a problem that you come here. We're happy to have you here, but we want to know who you are and why. And we want procedures to be followed. Because once you assimilate and once you adjust and once you emigrate, remember that's that's a legal process. So once you finish that process, as my daughter-in-law will hopefully have shortly, you will become an American citizen. And then this now becomes native or naturalized, all right? And then the former place is alien or foreign. It's, no, it's, a, it's about belonging. It's about, it's about where you belong in the plan of God. And so these are the terms, alien and foreign. And then living in tents, I call that transient. All right, they probably had a city ordinance that said you can camp anywhere you want to camp. Well, really, what did the Canaanites think about Abraham pitching his tent and building these altars and then digging these wells? They liked the wells. In fact, they would fight wars over some of those wells. Abraham and Isaac were marvelous at at, uh, the, the digging of wells. So, I mean, they could, they could laugh at the altar or overlook it. They could, they could uh, lust after the wells and, and fight to take them away. Um, they didn't, I don't think they had a problem with, the, uh, with them being there. Uh, but if they did have a problem with them being there, what are they going to do about it when Abraham has a household army that can defeat four kings? Okay, so we'll talk about that as well. Living in tents a stranger in exile, a stranger in exile. And I think um, some of that language comes up in verse 16. Some of that language comes up uh, elsewhere um, as they are strangers seeking a country of their own. Verse 13, there it is. Um, All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. A stranger, when you know you're out of place, because they don't think like you think, they don't love God like you love God, they don't operate in earthly terms like you do. Things are just strange. And, And they think you're the strange one, and you think they're the strange one, and you're both probably right. Because there's just that distinction between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Strangers and exiles. You know what an exile is? Someone that can't go back. (coughs) Or chooses not to. And in their case, they could have gone back. I'm getting ahead of myself because they could have gone back if they wanted to. 
they had the opportunity to return. <coughs> and he could have gone back. Could have become a leading citizen in Ur. Could have become, uh, maybe even supplanted Hammurabi. You know, when you think how Moses could have become the next Pharaoh, Abraham could have supplanted Hammurabi. He could have been the lawgiver as Hammurabi was in the Babylonian code. But no, he chose to be an alien and a stranger. He chose to live as a... uh, He had to pay cash for a cave that was his anyway. When it came time to bury Sarah and he needed that cave... He has to sit down and bargain and make a business transaction with the Hittites there, with the the natives, and he pays full price for a cave that's his anyway. There's There's some doctrine in that. Because you and I, we're to use the world but not make full use of it. We are to be, you know, where we're citizens of heaven even while we're still residents here on earth. And some of these are attitudinal issues that we should be learning from, and a lot of them come from Abraham here in uh, the book of Genesis. So um, this is going to be about a six-hour class today. I hope no one's hungry. (coughs) We're going to look at eight episodes of Abraham's life. And we're not going to get lost in the the forest through the trees, but we are going to see, I'm going to highlight for you, you say, the screen looks like we're going to start in Genesis 12 and we're going to read 13 chapters until we get to Genesis 25. I promise we won't read every single verse out of 13 chapters, or even 14 chapters inclusively. Um, but we're going to read selections, and they are the selections that emphasize the pilgrim nature as aliens and strangers, the pilgrim nature as trusting God and walking by faith, and living a life residing here on this earth while you're looking forward to the reward because they were looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God and it's the arrival of that city that's going to turn the land of promise into a heavenly land and uh, we'll talk about that as well as we see it so Genesis chapter 12 back to Genesis chapter 12 if more people paid attention to this I'm glad that our president knows it. I'm glad that our vice president knows it. I'm glad that we have representatives and senators that know this verse. That our foreign policy comes down to, are we blessing the Jews or cursing the Jews? Because that's how we line our country up for blessing or for cursing. It is that simple. So the Lord said to Abram, he's introduced uh, in the genealogies of chapter 11, we have the Toledoth, the descendants of, of Shem, and uh, going down through Terah. And uh, uh, Terah lived 70 years, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And uh, just like Noah lived 500 years, became the father of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now Terah lived 70 years, becomes the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And we have the, uh, the rest of that at the end of chapter 11. So ver- chapter 12 then, after Terah dies... You notice at the end of chapter 11, uh, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord God, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So he's voluntarily separating from any earthly inheritance. 
And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. He, by the way, he's 75 years old at this point in time. Been married for, to Sarah for we don't know how long, and they've yet to have a child. And uh, yet here's the promise. So go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He doesn't know, but he's going to walk by faith. God will show him. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the first installment of the Abrahamic covenant. It is given over many iterations through the upcoming chapters. And each time expands upon the basic presentation that's given here. So Abram went forth as the Lord spoke to him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated in persons, which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And so here he is. God said, I'm going to show you, and he arrives. So can we have the kingdom now? <laughs> can, we, uh, can we bring in the kingdom and have all these? No. Remember, all of these are going to die in faith without receiving what was promised. And so they arrive in Canaan, and Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. So you arrive in a country, it's going to be your country, but there's people there already. So does it make it their country? Whose country is this? The people that were there first? God's bringing Abraham there. Who's in charge of this? So the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. Literally to your seed I will give this land. Is that seed plural or seed singular? And theologically we understand there's promises of the coming Christ, but biologically we understand there are earthly descendants that are the Jewish people. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So there are a variety of altars in different places. There are a variety of occasions where he pitches his tent, but then he relocates and he repitches his tent somewhere else. See, a tent is not fixed. That's the point. The tent gets moved. It's a temporary dwelling from place to place. This body of ours is called a tent because we shouldn't get too attached to it. And we got a better one on the way when we get to resurrected glory. Amen. That's right. So then Abraham journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Ooh, Negev's not good. That's the desert south. There's parts of his land that are rough to inhabit, including the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So even when you're obedient, even when, you're, when you are where you're supposed to be, does that mean you're problem free? Of course not. You're going to have issues. And Abram, this is not an act of faith on his part. He didn't ask the Lord. He said, Lord, you brought me to this land. There's no food here. What do I do now? He just got to where God wanted him. He looked around in some few places and then things got tough. And instead of asking God what to do, he said, well, I got food in Egypt. Let's go there. Was he free to go there? That's not his land. This is the land. This is where he was told to go. So you can read the rest of that, verses 10 through 20. 
They concoct a lie. He uh, talks Sarah into lying for him. Say, say you're my sister. Because if we say you're my wife, they're just going to kill me and take you, and that's not good. Okay, so we'll tell them you're my sister. Then they'll give me lots of presents because that's, uh, you know, that's, that's how they, they court. And, they, and they're going to try to win my favor by giving me lots of loot. And then I'll just string them along and say, you know, well, maybe, maybe. And maybe I could even promise you to three or four different guys. And then we'll skip town when the famine's over. What a great plot. And it doesn't work because Pharaoh sees her and takes her. And you think, wow, what does Sarah have to go through? Sarah was placed in in Pharaoh's harem for an unspecified period of time here until Abraham gets her back. Anyway, so we get verses uh, 10 through 20 there. The Lord struck Pharaoh, it says in verse 17, in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this? (laughs) What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that uh, I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. We don't have any words recorded here on Abraham's part. He's kind of speechless through this section of the chapter. What can he say? But as he's living as an alien and a stranger, notice he has dealings with kings. He has dealings with Pharaoh of Egypt. He has dealings with the king of Sodom. He has dealings with the king of uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He's going to go and wage war against four kings from the east just to get Lot back. He's living in a land, he's acting like a king, but he's not yet a king. He never will be a king. He's going to die in faith and be buried with with Sarah. There's so much that we can learn here in these early chapters. But notice he's interacting with a king. It's like a state dinner with the president of uh, Australia out in the Rose Garden or something. And here's Abraham dealing with Pharaoh. Over to chapter 13, he has to separate from uh, Lot because the herdsmen weren't getting along. And so they separate. You get 18 verses here. And Abraham gives him a choice. He says, this whole land is mine. Pick, pick a direction. I'll go the other way. And Lot decided that the, uh, <laughs> the fast, uh, you know, the, the city life of Sodom and Gomorrah looked exciting to him. And uh, I imagine Abraham kind of wiped his forehead and said, whew, Glad I don't have to go there, because Lot took that part. And so you see uh, some of the action that happens here. When a, when a family goes so large, when a clan grows so large, and now the clan has to interact with other clans, and then you could end up with warfare between the clans, the Hatfields and the McCoys and the Abraham and Lot clans. Anyway, so it's best if we just put some space between us. We'll have boundaries. You stay on your side, I stay on my side. Boundaries are good. They keep us from fighting over uh, pasture land and wells and other things like that. Chapter 14. Here's these kings that come from the east. Four kings invade to attack five kings that are there. So it's the battle of nine kings. And uh, Sodom gets conquered and Abraham and uh, Lot and the family get uh, abducted. And um, so verse 12 in chapter 14, it says, they also took Lot, Abraham's nephew, Abram's nephew, I'm sorry. I'll probably mess up like that. The name gets changed in chapter 17. 
So Abram becomes Abraham. Interestingly enough, Isaac is born to Abraham while Ishmael is born to Abram. Uncircumcised Abram, by the way. All right. Boy, that's still three chapters away. So a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Abram the Hebrew. Living in the land of Canaan. The guy doesn't belong here. He's a Hebrew. He's out of place. He belongs over there. It would be the same language when Potiphar's wife complains about Joseph. This Hebrew came to make sport of me. Abram the Hebrew. He was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Ener, and these were allies with Abram. (laughs) You realize your clan has grown to a certain point that you don't just have friends of the family, you have allies. You know, my father had friends and I had to call him up and let him know that he'd passed away. And that was, some of them were a little tough to call, but um, my dad had friends. He didn't have allies. Abram had allies. And uh, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men. Do you have trained men? Born in your house, 318 of them. And they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Well-trained men. This is a personal militia. This is this, uh, uh, his, I mean, we all have the God-given right to self-defense. And when your family grows to this point, hopefully you'll have a uh, troop prepared to guard your possessions, to guard your animals, to guard your property, to guard your people. And now it's time to get mobilized. And he divided his forces against them by night and his servants and defeated them. What an amazing time. This is like one of the judges. This is an amazing thing of uh, tremendous divine power here. Pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods. See, those four kings thought they were going to return to the east with this vast plunder from Sodom and Gomorrah and the three other places. No, Abraham took the plunder. So now he's plundered Egypt. (laughs) Now he's plundered these other places. God is making him very, very rich, although he's going to refund Sodom's. He doesn't want Sodom's money. So he brought back all the goods. He brought back his relative lot with his possessions. He also the women and the people. And then after his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings, notice, here's where Melchizedek comes out. And if this sounds familiar, how many hours do we spend on Melchizedek back in Hebrews chapter 7? This is the episode where Abraham met Melchizedek, where they worshiped together, where they took communion, where they worshiped El Elyon, God Most High. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was priest of God Most High. He's a prophet, priest, and king, this Melchizedek, a marvelous type of Christ. And he blessed him and said, Melchizedek blessed Abram. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. He gave him a tithe of the plunder from these four kings that he defeated. And then the king of Sodom. So here he is. He's living as an alien. He's an alien, foreign, transient, stranger, exile. 
But he's got kings that are coming to him, including Pharaoh, Melchizedek, king of Sodom, whatever his name was. Uh, said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. You know, some kings want to have a population in destitution and poverty because they like keeping the people poor. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to to the Lord, God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear that you would say I have made Abram rich. He's going to refund the entire Sodomite plunder. All right. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their share. They're allies. He can't speak for them. And they, uh, they're entitled to their share of the plunder. Remember, to the victor go the spoils. That's the law of war. Always has been. Always will be. That's chapter 14. Chapter 15. We've got 21 verses. And still, there's no baby. Still, Abraham and Sarah are just having family life and there's no baby. And actually, at a certain point in here, they stop having marital relations because Abraham stops functioning. Now, it's not this early because he's still functional when Hagar is introduced. I think uh, Abraham's discipline for the Hagar rebellion was, was his impotency that was assigned after that. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Abram has promised a son. And uh, in verse 2 of chapter 15, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Probably the son, the servant that he sends to get a wife uh, in a later chapter. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Remember, the selection of an heir is up to the father. And here's a household servant. And a slave can be exalted to full son status if the father so chooses. He can free that son, he can adopt that, or he can free that slave, he can adopt that son and make him an heir. And you've got to wonder, man, what was his godliness like? What kind of fellowship did Abraham and Eliezer have to name him the heir of the Abrahamic covenant? And God says, not so fast. Eliezer is not the heir of the Abrahamic covenant, but one born of your flesh. He will come from your body. He shall be your heir. Took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. We have two metaphors, the stars and the dust of the earth. There's two realms in which Abraham has descendants. He has heavenly descendants and he has earthly descendants. And the two metaphors speak to that. The earthly descendants are the racially Jewish people. But the heavenly descendants are those by faith that believe in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Whole study out of that if you want to look at that in Romans and in Galatians. But here's the promise. Go count the stars. If you're able to count them, so shall your descendants be. So Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is our testimony for justification by grace through faith. Verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So we have, the, again, the exile. Where does he belong? He belongs in Ur. He belongs in Ur. Ur was a, was a huge metropolis. Ur was the center of moon god worship. It's uh, staggering to me that Muslims worship the moon, the moon god. 
They call themselves Abrahamic, uh, but they worship the moon god, all as the moon god. They use the crescent as their, the crescent moon as their symbol. And uh, it just bugs me to tears. And I've asked him this. I say, why do you worship the moon god? You know, Abraham left the moon god. He left Ur to follow Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. I've yet to have a Muslim give me an answer to that. Usually they huff and puff and say, Allah is not the moon god. Allah is the one true god. There's only one god and Allah is, is the one god. And then they, they bluster on and on. But his, <clears throat> historically it's not deniable that Allah was the moon god in that pantheon. All right, where am I still? Chapter 15? Hmm. Well, okay, I'm going to have a child. How am I going to know this? How may I know that I will possess it? Is he calling God a liar here? Or is he just asking for a sign? What's he doing here? He wants to know. Is there a visible testimony? So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat. And uh, there's a marvelous uh, ritual that happens here and a deep sleep falls upon Abram and in the darkness of this comes a prophecy. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So Abraham is not the only stranger here in this chapter. He's living as an alien and a stranger, but his descendants are going to have this as their heritage. Your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation where they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. This is the uh, Exodus. They're, they're going to be slaves in Egypt. He's going to bring them out of Egypt. They're going to plunder Egypt in ways far beyond anything uh, Abraham did when uh, Pharaoh gave him all the, all the treasure in, back in chapter 12. But as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. In other words, he's going to die in faith and not see. He's not going to see the kingdom. He's not going to see the Christ. He'll only see Jesus prophetically. You will die and be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Pay attention to that. Recognize when God controls history that He has a sovereign removal of a wicked people on His calendar. And it won't be too soon and it won't be too late. He will end it when they've had the repentance opportunity and when they fail to repent. That's when He ends it. And so the whole time Israel is being built as a nation in bondage in Egypt for those 400 years or 215 years, depending on how you calculate it, when they're in Egypt, God is giving the Amorites their final, the Canaanites are giving their final repentance opportunities, and they don't. Instead, they, uh, they fornicate with fallen angels that produce Nephilim giants. They, they pursue all kinds of uh, satanic rebellion against the Lord. So here comes Joshua to conquer them, and they're done. The land of the Amorite becomes the land of Canaan, becomes the land of the Jews. Chapter 16, Sarai, Abram's wife. Okay, let me read the rest of this here. Um, In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites not yet complete. Let's finish chapter 15. It came about when the sun had set 
that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. Notice Abraham is still asleep. He doesn't walk between the pieces. It's an unconditional covenant. The Jewish people can't break it if they want to. It's, it, technically, it's between the Father and the Son here, the parties to this covenant, the oven and the torch. So on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Don't divide it with the Palestinians. It's yours. Notice the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, the Jebusite. All those ites are going away. This will be for Israel, the nation. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, So Sarai said to Abram, maybe God needs help keeping his promises. Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. There's a bit of a selfishness here. There's a bit of a boo-hoo, woe is me, God is against me. Job thought the same thing, God has done this to me. Sarah is thinking, God has done this to me. God has kept me from having babies. Please. Go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And I don't see a lot of arm twisting. <laughs> I don't see a lot of, uh, well, gee, I'll think about it. Mm, I'm not sure that's a good idea. No, he just jumped at it immediately. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. I said, okay. And after uh, Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, so how old is he now? 85. Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Probably plunder that he took along with the other treasures that Pharaoh had given up when they came. Probably Hagar was part of the, part of the plunder. 16, 12, not 12, 16 maybe, marriageable age, 15. A young Egyptian maid. And uh, he went into her, so he's still sexually functional, and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Now Sarah's got two problems. (laughs) Because she still doesn't have a baby. And uh, Hagar does. And Abram does. So Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me... Well, wrong was done to her. May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now this is interesting. Anyway, the whole Ishmael story here is chapter 16. And um, they're going to remain separate people groups. They're going to remain trouble to the Jewish people. The descendants of Ishmael to this day belong, uh, the Arab people belong to, or uh, trouble to the Jewish people. All right, so Abram was 86 when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. That's the end of chapter 16. Now, verse 17, chapter 17, goodness. When Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old. So what happened in the last 13 years? Well, Ishmael got older. Uh, Eliezer is still around, as far as we know. Abram still has fellowship with believers that can occupy with the Word of God. And he starts to have a rapport with Ishmael. He wants Ishmael to live before the Lord, and God says no. 
he also starts to have um, sexual issues. He becomes as good as dead. Hebrews told us that. Romans tells us that. There comes a point here where he stops functioning maritally with Sarah or Hagar. And uh, when it stops working, the, the expression is, as good as dead. Why am I still here? I might as well be dead. All right. But the Lord appears to him. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Not the one child you already have. Not that 13-year-old boy. He's going to be trouble. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. The one that God designed and now multiple ones that he permits because of Abraham's disobedience. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come forth from you. So it's, it, these are restatements of everything going back to chapter 12. Verse 8, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The Abrahamic covenant is essentially land, seed, and blessing. The land is the land grant there today. We call it Israel. The modern state of Israel plus Jordan on the eastern banks is within that land grant. Everything from the river to the river, from the Nile to the, to the Euphrates. Our inheritance is different. You notice that? Our inheritance is heavenly. Our citizenship is heavenly. So he gets a new name. He gets a new sign. He gets the sign of the uh, circumcision. And uh, also Sarah gets a new name. Sarai becomes Sarah in verse 15. And God makes very clear that little, uh, you know, thing you did with Hagar and the baby you made there, that was not the will of God. Ishmael is not the heir of promise. Ishmael is the son of human effort. God does not reward that human effort apart from faith. He rewards faith waiting for the promise. And so Sarah is going to have a baby. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. She shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So Abram fell on his, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. We're going to see a lot of laughter. Abraham's laughing, Sarah's laughing, and Sarah's denying that she's laughing. Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is uh, like Jesus saying, let this cup pass by me. This is a statement that says, I don't think your plan's going to work. Can't we, just, can't we just lift up Ishmael here? I think Abraham had a love for Ishmael and wishful thinking that Ishmael would be spiritually minded in a way that I don't know that he was. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will bury you a son and you will call him Laughter. You will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. 
The Abrahamic covenant becomes the Abraham-Isaac covenant. It becomes the Abraham-Isaac-Jacob covenant. It becomes the Israel covenant. As God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel makes the covenant with the Jewish people. All right, so much more. Abram circumcises himself. He even circumcises Ishmael. He circumcises his whole household. Then in chapter 18, Isaac is born. And when Isaac is born, they name him Laughter. Oh no, he's promised. I'm sorry, he's promised. Goodness. In chapter 18, I'm not going to read all 33 verses. I do want to see though Sarah and the dynamic here. We'll come back to this too when we get to Sarah's verse in uh, Hebrews 11. So the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from a tent door to, the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. He said, my Lord, if now I found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. This is the hymn we sing, do not pass me by. All right. And the invitation to come in and feast and the invitation while he's waiting by faith, his wife isn't pregnant yet, but he's believing by faith. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a piece uh, of bread that you may refresh yourselves. All right. So they said, we'll stay. Abram runs in, tells Sarah, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour. So this is Sarah's role in this chapter. (laughs) She has to feed all these guys. Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and choice calf, gave it to the servant. He hurried to prepare it curds and milk and the calf which he prepared placed it before them was standing by them under the tree as they ate and they said to him where is sarah your wife we'll go into this in more detail when we talk about sarah because she's going to laugh she's going to deny laughing and they're going to say oh no you laughed we know you laughed that's chapter uh, 18 and then um after they have their fellowship the men rise up and they're headed into Sodom. They actually, they're on a, a work business trip. They're going into Sodom to destroy it. And Abraham knows what they're doing. The, uh, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Notice if you are a called servant, if you are a steward in the plan of God, he's not going to keep you in the dark as to his plan. Abraham and his stewardship had that privilege. You and I and our stewardship have that privilege. God's not up there in heaven saying, ooh, I'm going to hide from Pastor Bob what it is I expect Austin Bible Church to do. And then, boy, he better guess and get it right or I'm going to zap him. See, we walk with the Lord, He leads us. We follow His leading. And here He makes it known to Abraham what He's about to do. And this sparks Abraham's prayer. In fact, he prays six times in talking the Lord down from 50 to 10. And he should have prayed a seventh time and said, there's one believer in there and his name is Lot and I want you to rescue him. Chapter 19, Sodom gets destroyed, Lot gets rescued, Mrs. Lot becomes a 
pillar of salt. Uh, but at the end of the chapter, in verse 27, Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Abraham is an intercessor. He's an alien. He's a stranger. The Sodomites should have been wiped out, but he's still praying for them. And it came about when the God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham. Isn't that beautiful? Because Abraham never actually said that seventh prayer. He wanted to, but didn't allow himself to say it. But it says, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So that's uh, curious to me, how he lives as an alien and a stranger and a prayer intercessor. Over to chapter 20. Do you ever fail a test and promise yourself that next time you'll do better? (laughs) What happens if the next time you do exactly the same thing you did the time before? Yeah. So in chapter 20, Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur, sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Here we go again. Only now it's worse. How many years have gone by? It's interesting what happens here. God comes to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. And Abimelech, Abimelech's a believer. Abimelech fears God. Abimelech uh, had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Calls him Lord, by the way. Will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did Did he himself not say to me, she is my sister? She herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. He's essentially giving a Job argument and he's true. He is innocent. And he has the faith to argue with the Lord. Abraham thought there was no fear of God in this place. There was more fear of God than he had. Abimelech had more fear than Abraham had. So just because you're the steward doesn't mean you're the most spiritual guy around. Abimelech put Abraham to shame. There was a Roman centurion that made Jesus weep because he had more faith than any of the Jews that Jesus had met. Verse 6 is interesting. God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. This is the overruling will of God where God stepped in sovereignly and kept Abimelech from having sex with a married woman and from throwing into question the line of Christ as Isaac is very quickly going to be conceived here. I did not let you touch her. By the way, that was not stated in chapter 12 when Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's harem. Okay. Why was, why was there so long after that episode before Sarah could have a baby? All right. Now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet. 
He will pray for you and you will live. He has to become an intercessor. Do not restore, but if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early, called all the servants, told all these things, makes it a very public issue with all the men. They restore Sarah. Verse 9, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? He's still dealing with this king like a fellow king, living as an alien and a stranger in a land that's promised to him but not truly his yet. What have you encountered and why that you have done this thing? Why are you so jaded that you think we're all just a bunch of pagans? <laughs> Abram said, because uh, I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, technically the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So it wasn't a total lie. It was only half a lie. What a weasel. Okay? Again, the father of the faithful can be a weasel on occasion. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen, male and female servants, gave them to Abraham, restored his wife Sarah to him. My land is before you. Settle where you wish, where you please. I've given you, a, uh, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, before all men are cleared. You are cleared. There's no immorality on her part. She wasn't sexual with him. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And that's the episode there. You know, it's interesting too because Isaac is going to have a similar failure. <laughs> the sins of the father are indeed passed to the, to the sons, to the third and the fourth generation. And the, the sin issues, Isaac's going to have a, a moment of fear and he's going to beg Rebecca, you know, tell him you're my sister. And in Isaac's case, it wasn't even a half lie. It was a full lie in that, in that episode. Well, these are the testimonies. An alien, foreign, transient, stranger, exilic life. Um, we get past this chapter, we get into chapter 21, Isaac is born, and then once there is this heir, then Ishmael has to be sent away. And so the people groups have to be separated, just like uh, Lot, Lot and his men had to be separated. Now Ishmael has to be separated. And he'll become a, a forefather, he'll become the founding father of of a people group. He'll be given an Egyptian wife. They're basically Egyptian, an Egyptian clan. Since his mother was an Egyptian and his wife was an Egyptian. In a chapter 23, the death and burial of Sarah. Sarah lived 127 years. So it uh, took her 90 years to have a baby and then 37 more years she won't uh, see Isaac uh, married, but she will see. Uh, she'll see him nearly killed. That's chapter twenty-two, which I skipped over. All right, chapter twenty-three. So Sarah lived one hundred and twenty-seven years. She died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Hebron's going to get a new name. Its old name is Kiriath Arba. Uh, if you're the new people coming in, and this becomes your land, you can give it whatever name you want. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. And you don't have to 
apologize and, and unrename things and go back to some Denali name. It's Mount McKinley. You know, if the Russians still owned it, they could call it whatever they want to call it. But the Russians got it, then the Americans got it, then the Americans felt guilty because of our multiculturalism, whatever. So we'll give it the Eskimo name again. It's uh, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan, and Abram went in to mourn for Sarah to weep for her. He rose before the, uh, he rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. This is what's being reflected. This is the whole point of today's class. Living as an alien and a stranger. We should have this mentality as we walk by faith before the Lord. And we, if we confuse American patriotism with spirituality, we're in trouble. American patriotism is one thing, and it's not even a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. But our spirituality, our walk before the Lord is infinitely greater. And first things have to come first before second things can come second. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. In all of these dealings here, when he obtains the cave of Machpelah, why doesn't he just stomp his foot and say, look, I'm Abraham. I'm the recipient of the Abrahamic covenant. I waited a hundred years to have this baby. I'm going to take this cave. It's my cave. It's in between the the two rivers. (laughs) It's my cave. But those who use the world as though not making full use of it, we're living as aliens and strangers. So he purchases it. He gets the deed. He has the witnesses. And uh, Ephron's field, verse 17, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field. So you have the, you got to convey the mineral rights, you got to convey the trees, you got to convey the cave and things underground. All of this is deeded over. So Abram, to Abram for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. So it's done publicly in the city gates. It's all on record. If you don't have the rule of law and the, uh, the secure administration of property rights, what do you have? By definition, you don't have civilization. This is civilization. The righteous administration of private property rights. The, tr- the public transfer of deeds, the acknowledgement of these things. So, went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abram buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Hath. All of these legal issues. And uh, I'm glad we're seeing these things. I'm glad we're recognizing these things. When you go to this land, you follow the procedures that land has in place. Abraham is following these Hittite procedures because this is the city gates. This is the, the, the venue where these things can be observed, where they can be recorded, where they can be witnessed by all. God deals with this. It's how God administers His covenants. God has witnesses. Our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of uh, record keeping. Well, We'll come back next week and we're going to see this powerful testimony 
It was powerful in David's lifetime. It was powerful in Jehoshaphat's generation. Powerful in the days of Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to see the impact that Abraham's life had through the Old Testament into the New Testament. How Stephen opened his martyrdom, ser- martyrdom sermon with a testimony of Abraham. Everything we took today, I don't mind taking the whole hour today to, to deal with this survey on Abraham. Because it's foundational to the rest of the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament alike. And then we'll uh, get into some other details. All right. Father, I just thank you. A lot of reading this morning, a lot of things. I thank you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will keep these things straight in our thinking. That we will appreciate them for what they are. That we will be imitators of Abraham uh, in the faith victories. Certainly not in the knucklehead things where we uh, get start making weasel excuses and trying to uh, achieve things through human effort. Father, we want to walk by faith and allow you to fulfill your promises that you have made to do. That you have, you made the promise. You're going to keep it, and we walk by faith and hold you to them. We hold you to every promise, and it's our delight to do so. Father, I pray that we wrestle with you in prayer as Abraham did. And I pray that we don't stop after the sixth prayer. I pray that we pray a seventh time. I pray that we keep on praying until you tell us enough and, and to the point that you provide. I pray that we have the faith to stand on Mount Moriah and sacrifice Isaac if you call upon us to do that. Whatever you call us to do, Father, we know that your plan is better than ours. And even if we don't know where we're going, we're going to trust you to take us where we need to be. So Abraham's our great example, Father. We just thank you and praise you for teaching us these things today. Father, uh, we need to be diligent students. And if some of it gets tedious, if some of it is uh, prolonged, well, then so be it, Father. That's how we're called to study, to show ourselves approved. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.